If you have a Bible, you can open to Hebrews chapter 4, look at verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 14 through chapter 5, verse 10. We're going to read the whole thing that's printed there in the bulletin. Uh, we're not going to talk about everything that's printed there, but we're going to read it all for a little bit of context. <clears throat> um, it's Ascension Sunday. Most people think of it as Mother's Day today, uh, but really, the church calendar says that it's Ascension Sunday. Maybe uh, most of the evangelical church in America isn't aware of that, but that's okay. The church calendar isn't set in stone. It's not required for our observation. Um, but the fact that the church has space for feast days like Christmas and Easter, but not for feast days like Ascension or Pentecost, which is next Sunday, uh, it probably reflects the reality we just don't know what to do with the Ascension. We don't know what, what to make of it. We don't know what to do with Pentecost. We're not sure why these are supposed to be very important things, important enough to have their own feast days, high feast days on the church calendar. When you think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whoever you are, You've probably heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you think of it, what do you think of? I would guess probably mainly you think the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about the, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He died to forgive your sins. Right? Many non-Christians who live around us would probably be able to say at least that much. They probably wouldn't be able to say they've heard much about the ascension. For whatever reasons, the biblical event there of the ascension uh, doesn't factor strongly into our thinking as the church about the gospel. It doesn't factor strongly into our proclamation of the gospel, at least not in the American church. That's too bad, because as you go along in the life of Jesus Christ, which you see written in the gospels, contained in the four gospels at the beginning of the New Testament in the scriptures, as you go along, each major event builds on the previous events, getting better and better, and actually lending significance to those previous events. You might think that the, the climax of the good news, the climax of the gospel, was the cross of Jesus Christ, where he died for our sins. But then you get the resurrection, and it's a bigger deal. And it actually, the, the cross wouldn't be what it was without the resurrection. And then, just when you think that nothing can beat the significance of the resurrection, here comes the ascension. And actually, the resurrection of Jesus Christ wouldn't be what it was without the ascension. It wouldn't have all the same significance. But, um, but we've sort of relegated the ascension to a gospel afterthought. After all the really important work in his death and resurrection, what else did Jesus have to do but go home, right? Well, my work here is done. Guess I'll just be over here and wait until I need to come back again. That's what we think of the ascension. That's the significance of it. But the ascension is, um, is better news than that. Do you understand that? Is the ascension good news for you? Do you even know what I'm talking about when I say the word ascension? Let's try to remedy all of that. Let's, uh, let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. 
Father, we do pray for your help. Um, You've written a lot to us in your word here, these scriptures. You've had the prophets and the apostles uh, communicate a lot about who you are and what you've done for us, all the promises of the gospel and the fulfillment of those promises in Christ. And um, honestly, it's too much for any of us to take in fully. But we pray that uh, this little bit, you would help us to take it in this morning and be changed by it. Help us to come to know you better. Help us to call on the name of the Lord for salvation as he's offered here in the gospel for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So like I said, uh, we're mainly going to focus on the first paragraph of that reading, but uh, give a little bit of context from the whole reading. Historically, throughout the history of the church, Christ has been seen to have three or fulfill three offices. Give you a little bit of... uh, sort of our traditional theology here, right? Three offices, prophet, priest, and king. That's who Jesus is. He performs these functions for us. He's, He's the great prophet, the great priest, the great king. All of those are seen in close proximity to our passage. First, prophet. It says just before our reading that the word of God is living and active. The word of God is living and active. So a prophet declares God's word to the people. Jesus himself is the very word of God. He is God's own declaration of himself to the people, to us. He reveals God to us for our relationship with him, and so he's the great prophet. He's the king. In our passage, uh, there's a quote uh, from Psalm 2, which is a coronation psalm. It says, today I have begotten you. That's the, the quote from Psalm 2. It's a coronation psalm. It's when, when uh, you get a new king and you set him up and you say Psalm 2 and it's this great prayer. 
the king is declared to be God's son at his enthronement, at that coronation. That's when God says to you, today I have begotten you, I've made you new, I've, you're a new creation, you're now my son. He says to the king, and Jesus is not only the divine son of God, he's been that from all eternity, but he's not only the divine son of God and the ruler of all and king of all, he's the human son of God. He's the one who, at his ascension, went into heaven and was received as the king of glory as a human being. He's the human king of kings, and his rule, his authority is universal, and it's characterized by love and self-gift and service. It's unique. His kingship is unique, and his kingship endures forever. So he's the king. But the bulk of our passage focuses on Jesus as our great high priest, great high priest. So that's what we'll talk about mainly this morning. Let me just ask you this question. Why do we need a priest? Why do we need a high priest? Think about a priest. Think about what you think a priest is and what a priest does and ask yourself, do I need that? Why do I need that? They they seem pretty irrelevant to our times, I think, don't they? I mean, you know, ancient peoples like the Druids or the Aztecs, they had their high priests. The Israelites, they had their high priests. The Bible says we all need a high priest, even though that might seem a bit outdated, a bit belonging to these, these ancient cultures and not to a modern secular world like we live in. Right? But the Bible says we all need a high priest, but why? What is a high priest? It's not just someone you go to for advice. Right? A high priest is not just a guru who shows you how to be good. A high priest comes to help when things have gone wrong and it's beyond your ability to fix the problem. In a sense, that's what a high priest is for. What do you, you see it on TV. What do you call a high priest? What, what do you call a priest for? What do you say? Call the priest. It's when somebody's demon possessed or when they're on their deathbed, right? When things are really bad and you need help and you need help of a certain kind. And it's, it's become beyond your ability to fix the problem you call a priest. Biblically speaking, the high priest is someone who is ordained by God. Not just someone we set forward, but someone that God ordains, God calls. God's the one who has the idea for a high priest, and he's the one who sets up his high priest. So uh, a high priest is somebody who's ordained by God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Not to give us good advice and good sage wisdom and counsel so that you go home and you do this and you'll fix your problem. That's not what a high priest does. A high priest does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He restores our relationship to God for us. He represents us with regard to our relation, our relationship to God. So a prophet is a teacher. A king is a ruler and a leader and a defender. A priest is a mediator. A priest is a vicar. A priest is a substitute, a representative. So in the Old Testament, God set up the Levites as priests. He talks about that in our passage. He says Jesus is of a different order than the Levites. He calls him a priest after the order of Melchizedek. I know that is just totally complicating things. So if you want to know more about the Melchizedek stuff, we're not going to talk about it in the sermon. But feel free to bring it up during sermon discussion if you'd like. Uh, but God sets up the, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, as the priests for all the people. 
And he appointed, God himself appointed, the high priest to be the one who once a year in the temple or the tabernacle, on the day of atonement, the big special day of atonement, he would take the blood of the sacrifice, kill some animals outside on the altar, blood of the sacrifice, he would take it through this heavy curtain into the veil, inside the veil, into the holy place where God's presence dwelt. And he would sprinkle the blood on what was called the mercy seat, which was on the Ark of the Covenant. It's where God said, my presence will be there specifically. And he calls it the mercy seat and says, sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice there on this one day every year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest does that. Nobody else goes in. Nobody else can go in. Nobody else is, in a sense, invited by God to go in. He sets up this representative. He sets up this high priest, this substitute, this vicar, this mediator to go in on behalf of the people. And he would bear them with him, sort of symbolically, on his heart with these, these stones that represented the people that were uh, embroidered into his, uh, his ephod. I don't know what ephod, an ephod is like. It's like a vest, I guess. It's a, it's a garment of clothing where these stones would have the names, it would be um, representative of the names of the people of Israel, and he would take incense with him, which symbolized their prayers. So it's like he's taking all the people with him as he's going in, this great high priest. He's going on behalf of them. He's going for them. He's doing for them what they can't do to go in and secure forgiveness for them and to relate to God on their behalf. And God is the one who set all of this up in ancient Israel in the Old Testament. God's the one who set that up as a picture of our reconciliation. We all need the forgiveness of our sins. We all need atonement. We need our relationship to God to be restored. We need it to be fixed. And the high priest would secure this by taking the blood of the atoning sacrifice into the very presence of God. And if the high priest survived that encounter, that ordeal, if he survived the holy presence of God with the blood of that sacrifice, then you knew that your sins were forgiven, that you're accepted because of him, because of what he's done to represent you. If he lives in God's presence, if he makes it into God's presence and lives, then you know you also can live in God's presence. You're forgiven. You're accepted. I heard someone say uh, this week that the work of the high priest was not complete with the death of the sacrifice. It wasn't enough to kill the animal outside on the altar to have it give up its life. The death wasn't enough. He had to carry the atonement, the blood, into God's presence and survive. That's when it's complete. That's when you know that you've been forgiven and accepted in God's presence. And that's what we have in the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. That's what we have. He is our mediator. He's our great high priest, who's also the sacrifice. In himself, he's the the perfect, spotless lamb of God, John the Baptist said, the atoning sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world by his blood. His death on the cross, his blood shed for us, that was the sacrifice. But his work as our great high priest wasn't complete with that. It wasn't complete with his slaughter. It wasn't complete with his blood. 
his sacrifice. He was raised from the dead, immortal, never to die again. And he was taken up by God, the scriptures say, taken up by God into heaven, where he carried his blood, his sacrifice, our atonement. He carried it into God's very presence. And ultimately, this fulfills what had been God's plan for humanity all along. This is what God wanted all along. He wanted humanity to be with him where he is in a holy relationship. Not just some general, generic relationship, to, to be in a relationship where he calls us son. That close a relationship, that intimate a relationship, a relationship of holy sonship with God where he is. That's what God has always wanted. The perfection and glorification of human beings, whom he has made in his image for a relationship with him, the perfection and glorification of humanity means our sonship, and it means our ascension into heaven. It means our going to be with him where he is, as his beloved child. And a wonderful, uh, you have a wonderful tantalizing glimpse of this in Genesis 5, which Sarah read in our Old Testament reading. It's one of those passages that's hard to pay attention to because of the monotony, the repetition, the pattern of it over and over again, and the big names that are hard to pronounce, and all of it just makes you want to skim over it when you're reading in, uh, in Genesis. But Genesis 5, it's a, it's a wonderful glimpse of the ascension for us. <clears throat> you have the generations of Adam, Adam and Eve being created in God's image, and then it says Adam having a son who was in his image. So it's like passing down this image. Adam's son was in him, his image. Adam himself was in God's own image. So the, the idea is that all of these generations of Adam, they're also sons of God. They're also in God's likeness. There's also that sort of filial relationship that they're representing. His son is in his likeness just as he is made in, God, in God's likeness. So, and these guys live forever. They live forever. It's insane how long they live. 800, 900 years. And they're so fruitful. They have many sons and daughters. And it's a picture of eternal life. And each one dies. Each one sort of has that cycle, right? This guy lived so long, really long time. Then he started having children in his old age. It seemed ridiculous to us, but life just keeps getting better for him as he gets older. And he has children. He has this one child, and he keeps having children. And then he dies at a ripe, ripe old age. And then you get the same thing over and over again, six times. The seventh generation, you get a break in the pattern. And hopefully you notice that through the Old Testament reading. The seventh generation, seventh, it's the fulfillment, it's the completion, it's the perfection of what the pattern is all leading to. Enoch walked with God. Pretty simple. He had a relationship with God, and it was called he walked with God. That's good. He walked with God, and God took him. It doesn't say he died. God took him. Where did he take him? Into his presence, apparently. Wait, you mean it's possible to beat the cycle of death and to live with God where he is? That's just this little hint in Genesis 5. It's possible to beat the cycle of death 
and to be in God's presence with him, to live where he is, to be taken up, to ascend into heaven, it's possible. More than possible, it's been God's plan all along. It's what he wants. It's what he's accomplished in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus walked with God perfectly, never faltered. He walked with God. He beat death. He went through death, but he came out the other side of it, triumphant in his resurrection. He beat the cycle of death forever. He broke it. He beat death. He ascended bodily into heaven where where God is into his very presence. It actually says in our passage, through the heavens, all the way through, all the way to the very presence of God. That's where Jesus has gone bodily as a human being with a real body, a glorified, perfected body. After he lived, he died, he rose again from the dead, he ascended bodily. How he can be there, I don't know. What kind of space, what kind of place that is where his body can exist, I don't know. But but the best part of it is he's with God where he is. As our representative, on our behalf, for us, he was taken into heaven where he carried his sacrifice. He carried the atoning blood into God's very presence. He didn't just perform his priestly service within the rituals of the earthly temple in Jerusalem. His death and resurrection and ascension are what the temple and what all generations of priests throughout Israel's history for centuries had always pointed to. He is the great high priest for all humanity. He represents us all. This is a public truth. This is not just for the church. He represents all humanity. He is your great high priest. It doesn't matter who you are. He is your great high priest. His is the highest public office in the universe. All people everywhere have a great high priest in him and only in him. There is no other way to find reconciliation with God. Jesus alone has passed through the heavens as a glorified human being bodily into God's very presence. And the fact that he, when he made that journey, he survives there. He continues forever there. To this day means you can know that your sins are forgiven. That's the whole point of the high priest. He carries the sacrifice for your sin in. And if he survives, then you know it was accepted by God. That's what his ascension means. His atonement for your sins is accepted by God. His humanity is welcome at God's right hand on your behalf. It's always meant to be on your behalf. It's not just for himself. This was the path prescribed by God for the forgiveness of your sins, and Jesus was the priest ordained by God. He didn't take that role on himself. God sent him for that very purpose. God is the one who made him this high priest to represent you before him. So if you want a relationship with God, the ascension means everything for you. Let me put that another way. The ascension won't matter to you at all unless you want a relationship with God. God set Jesus up to be this high priest. This was all from God's mind. This was his idea, his initiative, his saving work. God set Jesus up to be this mediator, this one, whose life in God's presence means your forgiveness. It means your acceptance. He didn't follow our blueprints for what a high priest is, our pattern, our idea for who a high priest should be or what he should do, he made Jesus to represent us in heaven 
the son enjoying holy sonship, holy relationship with God, where God is in his very presence, to open up the way for us for our holy sonship in God's presence. That's what God has done. The ascension of our great high priest means your relationship to God. Jesus' current relationship to God is your relationship to God. You can believe that. So Garrett Dawson, who has a great book, uh, Jesus Ascended, um, if you want to buy a copy, it's like $50 now. Uh, you can borrow my copy. I've got it back recently. So it's a great book, Jesus Ascended by Garrett Dawson. He says, we belong to Jesus Christ who is in heaven. Our true home is there, not here. Is that of any interest to you? If your relationship to God is sort of peripheral to your life, if your relationship to God is irrelevant to the main life that you live, then a priest who ascended to God will also be peripheral and also irrelevant to you. You can have a nice, comfortable life without having a relationship with God, without that holy sonship that Jesus has secured for you. You you can have a nice, comfortable life without that. You can have, you you could be a nice person without having a relationship to God. You can have nice children without having a relationship to God. Even if you're not that nice, you're not all that great of a person, and you struggle with guilt, you know what? You could get rid of those guilty feelings without having a relationship to God. Lots of people do. It's just a matter of self-talk, maybe trying a little harder, maybe just stop caring about what's good and evil. But if you want a relationship with God, you've got to come to him on his terms. And that means through the high priest that he has appointed. If you want a relationship with God, you may not want. But if you do want a relationship with God, then he says you come to him in Jesus' name. You come to him on the basis of Christ's vicarious priesthood on your behalf. You come to God appealing to Christ's life with God, Christ's holy sonship in God's presence with God where he is. That's your appeal. If you're going to have a relationship with God, you come through Christ. That's what he's said. He's your high priest. We have a great high priest, so let us hold fast our confession. That is, let us cling to Jesus through faith. Let's trust him as our high priest. We have a great high priest. Let's hold on to him for life. Let us then with... Confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Is that of any interest to you? God called it the mercy seat. God called it the throne of grace. It's not the throne of death and terror. He doesn't even call it the throne of righteous holy judgment. Which it is. His throne is that. That's not what he calls it. He calls it the mercy seat. And the throne of grace. It's the place where God rules. It's a throne. It's a place where God rules through his Christ in mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. It's the place where you may actually find yourself welcome in his presence. Welcome. Contrary maybe to all of your instincts. 
in spite of who you are, in spite of what you've done, in spite of yourself, in spite of not deserving to be welcome in his presence, it is the place where you will be welcome in his presence, the throne of grace. Your trust in your high priest means that you would come with confidence. Actually, it's a command. We've got to go with confidence. If you are trusting in yourself to make yourself presentable to God, to hope that God might accept you in his presence, if you are trusting in yourself, then you should lack confidence. In fact, you should tremble with basically hopeless fear. You cannot think that you could just maybe clean yourself up a little bit, maybe do a little probation before you could feel confident in God's presence, standing on your own two feet based on who you are and what you've done. You can't come that way. There's no assurance that way. There's no confidence. But isn't that usually how we think of gaining access to God? I mean, if I'm going to pray rightly, first I've got to deal with whatever might make me feel guilty in his sight. I suspect that he doesn't like me because I've done these things. And I've got to deal with those things before I can feel good about coming into his presence and praying. The ascension of Jesus Christ assures you, you are no longer guilty in God's sight. That's already taken care of. Jesus has survived going into God's presence on your behalf. So you are no longer guilty. The high priest has been received with approval. That's the new reality. So if you want to know God, you may know him. Right now. Anytime. If you want to live with God, you may live with him. If you want to pray to God, you may pray to God at any time, confidently, not because of who you are, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Your sin has not sealed the way to heaven back up again. Your sin doesn't do that. won't ever do that. It's impossible. As we sing, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Because Jesus continues forever in heaven, and where he is, there we may also be. That's our home, because he's there. He's our representative. So nobody can ask you to leave heaven for any reason ever. God won't do it. Nobody else can bid you to depart from heaven, because Jesus is there, and and nobody can make him leave. Have you just sinned? And you're thinking about praying. You're thinking about creeping with some humility, tail between your legs, back into God's presence in prayer. Have you just sinned? Doesn't matter. Go with confidence. Go with confidence. Not confidence in yourself, but confidence in the ascended Jesus Christ. Go without any hesitation whatsoever. If you hesitate, you'll only make it worse because hesitation means you're looking for something other than relationship with God through your high priest, Jesus Christ. You think there's some other way to get back into heaven than through the work that's been accomplished through your high priest. If you hesitate, that's what you're saying. Hesitation means you think maybe maybe you can feel sorry enough for your sins. If I just generate enough sorrow, enough guilty feeling for my sins and make enough promises about never doing it again, clean myself up, serve that probation time. If I can do that, 
then I'll deserve to be in God's presence with some confidence. And that's what it means when you hesitate. You can't do that, though. Only Jesus knows the full reality of your sin, and he's taken care of it once and for all, period. He confessed your sin perfectly on the cross. It's something none of us have ever done. We've never confessed our sins perfectly. We never will. But he has done it. On the cross, he truly acknowledged sin for what it was. He said, yes, it deserves death, and he bore it himself. He suffered commensurately for it. He asked for your forgiveness, and he got it. He fully invested himself in your forgiveness, and he secured it. So if you want forgiveness and you want reconciliation to God, right now, anytime, forever, you can know as you come through faith in Jesus Christ, you can come confidently. Come right now. Because right now is the time of need. Otherwise, you're saying that, um, that ultimately you're okay with the broken relationship existing as it is forever. If you don't come through Jesus, that's what you're saying. I'm okay that relationship with God being broken and never changing. But if you do come to the throne of grace through the ascended high priest, then you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed to know that he sympathizes with your weaknesses. He deals gently with you. It says all those other high priests, they dealt gently with people because they were really no different from other people. They, they were just sinners beset with their own weaknesses. So how could they do anything but, um, but be gentle with people who are just like them? He deals gently with you. He knows what it means to suffer temptations. He knows it better than we do because he never gave in to those temptations. He never sinned against God. He never violated his relationship with God. That didn't make him disdain you. That didn't make him condemning toward you. His sinless perfection, usually when we think of somebody as a model of sinless perfection, they're usually a pretty condemning, hypocritical jerk, right? His sinless perfection makes him the most compassionate high priest. He's the perfect high priest. So Karl Barth says, Jesus is still the friend of sinners whose very family think that he is mad. He's never gotten away from that family. We all think he's just a bit touched. He's a bit crazy. We don't understand him. We reject his ways in a lot of ways, but he's still the friend of sinners. He's still because of the ascension, he is still the friend of sinners. Sinners. In spite of the fact that we still sin against God and his Christ, God and his Christ are for us. And that will never change. We are welcome in his presence when we've failed, when we've shaken our fist at him, when we're locked up in prisons, when we're confused, losing our minds, losing our loved ones, losing our own lives, we are always welcome in God's presence because that's where Jesus, our great high priest, is always. So let's believe that and let's go there confidently in his name. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would help us to believe the good news of the ascension of our great high priest to your right hand. We pray that you would help us to believe it and to come to you boldly and confidently because we come to you not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus Christ.
We pray that as the ascension becomes uh, more important to us, knowing that our great prophet, priest, and king is at your side where he lives forever on our behalf, that it would also become uh, increasingly important in the lives of the people around us, that people who have never heard of the ascension of Jesus Christ would hear of it, they would hear it as good news, that they also would believe and hold fast to this confession, and that they would confidently come to you for grace and mercy in time of need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.